as a minister, you know, at different times I've visited hospitals. And sometimes it's for happy stuff like us last week with our baby being born. At other times it's for things people are really sick. Sometimes they're having surgery. Uh, sometimes they're trying to, you know, recuperate from a surgery. There's different things that go on. And you go to the hospital and you realize, for me at least, it helps me remember for, as a young person that, that we're pretty frail. One little thing can happen and you and I will not be able to sustain life as we know it. There's other times where I've had to go to funeral homes and do a number of different funerals. And one of the things about that is I always remember that, that we are not going to live forever. Uh, sometimes it's very young people. I've, I've um, like presided over funerals for an infant, to someone that's very, very old. All those different times, and you see that all different stages of life, people could pass away. And so it's one of those things where I'm reminded often, I guess, that, that we need to be aware of that. And I know some people, uh, one of the guys in the discussion group talked about a friend who did not like to talk about death. Some people don't like to go to funerals. They just kind of want to steer clear of it and somehow like keep themselves away from it as long as they can. But that won't last forever. I mean, it's just impossible for us to escape death or even to escape someone very close to us dying. And so I think it's important that we know that and understand because there's kind of different views. So if you are here today and you don't trust in Christ, you're not a Christian, you're not someone that believes in maybe even, uh, you don't believe in the afterlife or, or, or there's a lot of different things people believe. Some people just believe you die, you go into the ground and that's it, it's over. And maybe if you believe that way today, I was thinking about how you might respond to life. Some people that say, hey, there's no life after death, there is no future they try to make as much, like, get as happy as they can in the present. And so they find all these different ways. They buy a bunch of stuff. They work hard to get as much as they can and, like, store up a bunch of stuff in this life. Some people that are like that, that, are, that maybe think there's no future, also would kind of dispose of anything that didn't make them happy anymore. And so if a relationship's not making them happy, throw it out. It, 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 and run away from it and find a new relationship. If, if raising kids and taking care of a family is not happy anymore, I don't like that anymore, I'll just jet out and go do something else. And so they seek to find as much happiness in this present life as possible. Another group that maybe would say, hey, I don't believe there's any future, they might say something like, uh, I want to feel safe. And so they build, and this is really hard for all of us, they find all these different ways to make life very comfortable and safe. And so they might, um, by every insurance known to man, uh, they may store up a bunch of money as much as they possibly can. They may build a fortress, and so they build around their house, like, things that keep people out that might, like, mess up the security or the comfort that they have in this life. And you find people, maybe someone like that would say, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat healthy and I'm going to exercise and do regular checks up, checkups and I'm going to save money and I'm going to build a fortress around my house so as long as I could possibly live and be safe, that's what I'll do and I'll try to make sure that that happens. And so some go for pleasure, some go for like safety. Uh, another possible thing would be to say, you know, this is all meaningless. It adds up to nothing. And so what I'll do is I'll basically do nothing with my life. Because it, there's, there's no value in it. 
everything's kind of, eventually I'm going to die and it's not going to matter. And so I'll just sit back and do as much as I can to get by. But then after that, I'll just say it's all meaningless. And so I'll just kind of live life as if there's nothing matters. I was thinking about all those different kinds of settings where you find people that are saying like, what, what do you believe? What do you believe about the future? And really, if, if you were in that condition in the way that I just explained, you're at some level, you're, you're hopeless. There is no hope for the future. And so you find yourself in a very hopeless situation. But that's not the Christian. The Christian believes that there is life after death. We believe that this is a temporary dwelling. We believe that, that really we're, we're awaiting the return of Christ. We say things like the Apostle Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we are waiting for that day. We should be longing for that day. This Christian really is not just trying to store up as much as he, happiness as he can in the present, but in the world to come. If you were to find a Christian truly committed to what Christ would be honored with, they would say, how can I store as much treasure up in the world to come as possible? And so they would live their lives in that way. They may prepare for retirement and things like that, but they're not, their security is not, their salvation is not their bank account. It's just not, the Christian's security is found in another sphere. It's in the reserve of heaven as is presented in 1 Peter. We are longing for that day. We work hard in the present not to gain as much as we can or to try to make people think we're great or to build up other people's esteem. You know, like we don't do that. We do this because we know if we live to the glory of God and we do well with the things that he's given us that he's honored with it. A Christian thinks much differently than those of the world. This past week, I went to a funeral of a man who was 90 years old who died. And he, uh, he's one of the neatest men I'd ever known. And he was a man who, at 29, became a believer. And he lived his life in service to the Lord from that point on. He was a guy that visited. The, he didn't have much in this life. He had a simple home and a, a simple life at some level. But his wife was really sick and really from somewhere in his, uh, their late 20s or so, she became sick with um, just a mental kind of illness that she struggled with. And she did so really throughout the rest of her life. And so he was constantly giving his life in service to her. And he loved her in a way that really is an example for all of us to see. But one of the things you saw with him is he was one that would visit people that were needy and sick. And he did that weekly. And throughout his life, he invested in other people. It was one of those times when after his wife got really sick, it cost them everything that they had. He, he had to sell property and get rid of stuff to try to help take care of his wife. And he said in that moment, God broke him to the point where he said, I, Lord, want to be about your business, not about building my own. And he's something, someone that we would look to and say a model of what a Christian is living for. A Christian is living for the future. A Christian's waiting for the future. A Christian is longing for the future. A Christian is storing up for the future. And the future is with Christ. And so he is longing to live in a way that would give honor and glory to God. And so I would just say today as we look at these, when we have a forward-looking, a future-looking life, I think it's very important we see that we would stand firm, we walk in holiness, we love others, and we just long for the return of Jesus. And we see that 
throughout this study, and I think you'll see it this morning. So, now here's the thing. The fundamental teaching this morning is about Paul, evidently, like, they had some questions. These were new believers. They had some questions. Paul didn't get a lot of time with them, and they were having questions about what happened if somebody died and before Jesus returned. What happened to them? And are they going to be okay in a good situation? And so there's some of those things. What, what is it going to look like for them? Paul's going to address that this morning. And that's what we'll be looking at. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. Now, it's something very important. I, I thought about this week during World War II. Uh, there was an operation called Operation Fortitude. It was a code name for a military operation that was tied to deception. And what they would do is, is they would try to deceive the enemy by kind of sending out things that are across the airwaves that would say, we're going to be doing this or that. And it would kind of like, kind of move the people away from the, the target that the allied forces had to like, they were going to attack. And so they would send out all this information. And that was during the time of the Normandy landings. And, and they think it was pretty successful. And it was the way to confuse the enemy. And that's something about like miss, you know, like giving like information, but like the wrong information. People will take that sometimes. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like with somebody that likes to talk about other people all the time, you throw out something that's not true and see what they do with it. But I mean, it's, it is kind of like misinformation is something like that you see throughout, throughout the scripture. It, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things, especially here, that, that you could get the wrong information and it has catastrophic results. And I think that's kind of when we're looking at this this morning, Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed because to have the wrong information would have extremely difficult results in the life of this church. And, and I think we need to kind of see that. We need to say, we don't want to be uninformed. We want to have a clear understanding of what God has for us. I was thinking about someone having the wrong information when I thought about this week, uh, Russell Moore, and I mentioned this before, but he um, adopted children from Russia. And when he went in to get those children in the orphanage, it was a horrendous place. Uh, he said it smelled of just human waste and just, just disgusting things. And, and he said, I just didn't even want to go inside there. And he goes inside there to these two little boys and he takes them out of their bed and they're dirty and filthy and he picks them up and as he's carrying them out, they're crying. And they're crying because they'd never, they don't really know him They've only known this one place. They don't know they're living in filth. And all along the way, he is whispering in their ears, I'm taking you to a new place. I'm giving you a new name. I'm going to bless you beyond measure. You have a glorious future. He is whispering that in their ears because they have been like really filled with this false sense of reality, a, a darkened place that they didn't even know was, was um, bad. And yet he's telling them, I have a place you've never seen before. It's more glorious than you've ever imagined. It's almost as if he was saying this momentary fear of the unknown has nothing to compare to the glory that's to be revealed. And I think that's what God whispers to us. God doesn't want you to be uninformed. God whispers this in our ear when we are afraid and frightened by, by you know, when we think, I don't really want to turn away from the old life. 
or I don't really want to leave this world. He's speaking to us. This world is sick and broken. You have a future. This passage is not primarily about you kind of understanding things that are, that are uh, there's a lot of questions we have about the end. It's not, the Bible doesn't give us all the answers. It's not answering every question that you could ever have about our future. It doesn't. But it is given to inspire hope. It is, it is a way of God speaking over people who are suffering greatly and telling them of their glorious future. It's a wonderful thing to hear this message and to understand it and to grasp it. They needed to be reassured because there are people dying around them. Some may have died because they were suffering for the faith. They, they were standing with Christ and they were suffering greatly. And some may have died in the face of that. They were probably, there were probably Christian martyrs in Thessalonica. And they wanted to know what will be their standing. Now, he says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. And I think, again, we just say grieving. If you were to ask me, Jared, can Christians grieve? I say, absolutely, we grieve. We do grieve. We're broken hearted over the loss of someone very close to us. Grieving is not a sin. It's not a sin. But we should not be hopeless in our grief. I mean, we know Jesus at Lazarus' death, he wept. He showed signs of grieving. Paul spoke of, um, of God's grace in preserving Epaphroditus in Philippians so that he would not be filled with sorrow. So we know that sorrow and grieving and struggle is a part of our life. And we do grieve. But we do not grieve as one who has no hope. And Paul wants to give them information that will cause them to hope in him. That's why we shouldn't treat this as something like a hobby. Like an end times hobby. That's not what this is for. It is to give us hope. And I think that's one of the things, and I, I noted this as I was uh, uh, reading, one man said this, he wrote, death is inevitable, and he, this is speaking of like how the world at that time would speak of and console people. They would say death is inevitable, everyone will face it, their memory will continue, they are released from the evils of this life, and we should honor them at their funeral. Death is either non-existence or it leads to some happier place. Sometimes if you talk to people when, when, there's, when death comes, they'll say things like that. Just remember the good times. They'll say things like, well, well um, I'm sure they're in a better place. Don't you think they're in a better place? They'll say other things like, well, you know, they don't have to face the pain of this life anymore. Remember how sick they were. You see... When they're doing that and they're saying those things, don't those sound encouraging? They do to some extent, if they're true. I mean, the question is, like, if you're just left with people just saying, you know, it's almost like someone saying, you know, just, just have faith. Faith in what? And as Christians, we should be asking that question. We should not speak to someone and just say, hey, they're probably in a better place. They're not suffering anymore. You know, th those things need to be founded in something. When Paul speaks consolation, when he consoles someone at the face of, in the face of death, he roots it in the resurrection of Jesus and his coming. 
So when we speak to a, a Christian brother or sister, we are not speaking to them as, like just saying these, these one-liners that come from like a Hallmark card. We're saying there are truths that we're holding on to. His resurrection becomes like the paradigm for the destiny of the believer that's died. That's the encouraging thing. When you go to someone's hospital bed and they say they're about to die, you don't just speak to them as one who has no hope, who just kind of makes up something. We speak to them and you say, remember the death and resurrection of Christ. He died and he rose again and you too will on the last day. It's very important that we understand that. We said that before people. It's something we need to encourage one another with. Verses 14 and 15. Here's the reason why. And that's what we just kind of touched on. We're going to kind of unpack that a little further. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that, that, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is a confessional statement. One of the things that Travis has been taking us through are are, are part of a confession of faith. We do catechism questions that say, this is what we believe. When we do the Apostles' Creed, we're saying, this is what we believe. When we are quoting those things, we are saying, this is what we believe. And that is what's going on here. Paul is probably potentially using something that was quoted over and over to the church and to the churches. It was a matter of a, a basis for our hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Jesus, and we, we, this is what we, we're saying, we believe Jesus actually lived, He actually died, He actually rose from the grave on the third day. We believe this truth and we preach it to one another. It's not just me coming and speaking it to you, it's something you speak to one another over and over. We believe these truths and it matters. And it matters when someone dies that these truths are real. What does this truth mean? It means that he did this to save us from our sins and to reconcile us to God. Jesus was triumphant over the grave. We believe that those who align themselves with the Lord Jesus will receive the benefits of his death and resurrection. That is eternal life. We believe that. We hold on to that. We live by that. Now that's the first clause here. The second thing that we would say kind of teaches something that we believe we see here. That God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we not only believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When we die, we go to be with the Lord. Scripture clearly presents that. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. We believe that those who die before the return of Christ go to be with him. We believe that those who have died will not be left out on the glorious day of his return, but they will come with him. And they will be gathered together with him before he returns. And they will be raised up with him. Their bodies will be transformed. They'll get a resurrection body, both soul and body restored. The third clause, 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We believe that those who have yet to die when Christ returns will be called up together to meet those who have already died so that all of his people would be united with him at the second coming. These are declarations of what we believe. This is what the Christian faith is founded on. This is why you have hope. That is why when you get the news that you have cancer or someone close to you has cancer and they are in Christ, this is what they hold on to. This is what they run back to. This is what they meditate on. This is what they settle in their minds. This is what gives them hope. And this is why your life in the present is lived in such a way to give honor and glory to God. Because we believe we will meet Him. And that He, and that it matters how we've lived. And we want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, when we stand before Him on that day. We believe these truths to be true. And they give us great comfort. This comes, as He will say, by a word from the Lord. This is not something, this is not a Hallmark card where Paul says, hey, these cats are starting to get a little bit nervous and I'm worried about them a little bit. And so what we need to do is come up with something to give them some encouragement so they'll stand strong till the end. He didn't make it up. It is something that the Lord had told them. It came by a word from the Lord when he spoke to them. And that's what he said earlier in First Thessalonians. It was not the words of men. It was not just nice little comforting things that seemed good to say to people in trouble. It was actually a word from the Lord. This past week I was with a pastor. And he was saying, you know, like uh, this lady had a dog. Probably its name was Fido. And uh, oh, Fido passed away. And she made a long, good, strong case for why Fido would be in heaven waiting for her. And he said, I didn't have the heart to say anything. Just kind of sit there. But that was not a word from the Lord. That, that was something that people, maybe they want Fido to be there. And that's, you know, but that wasn't a word from the Lord. And we have to be really careful that when we speak of things, that we say this, thus saith the Lord. What the Lord says matters and it's true and we can hold on to it i thought of another occasion when someone kind of this guy passed away as a kind of a youth i was a kid i was with my dad and uh uh, this guy's father somebody in his family was like the lord just got the best deer hunter in heaven you know and it was like what did that mean? You know, I started thinking like, do they deer hunt there? You know, I started, you know, as a kid, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, what kind of things are we going to do in heaven? You know, but that wasn't a word from the Lord. The word from the Lord is that we will be raised up on the last day. Very, very important. He's trying to unpack that for them in a very amazing way. So what is he trying to do? It says, We kind of look at this and we say he doesn't want them to be overwhelmed by grief. So he lays out a Christian creed, a belief about Christ, the Christian dead and the Christian living to make it clear to them that those who die before Christ returns will will, or those who are alive on the earth before Christ returns won't have anything on those who have already died. They won't have any advantage over them. 
Now, the last thing here, we're going to keep moving here, but I just want you to see in verses 16 as we're moving forward through these verses here, in, in, in 16 and 17, there's kind of going to be four statements that we're going to get here. And I think they're, they're very important for us to understand. They're, they're kind of end-time events. And there's four statements here, and we need to see them and, and kind of break them down and look at them and understand more fully what's going on. The first part here is about the return. It's about the return of Christ. The second is about the resurrection. The third about the rapture. And the fourth, and this is, I, I got this... Uh, John Stott kind of laid out like this, the reunion. And so I think it's important that you see those because each one of them kind of helps unpack truths for us. And, and really, um, it, it is important, I think we understand that when, when Christ returns, and, and, and sometimes I think it's hard for us because maybe we don't do this as much anymore, but I don't know if you ever watched the Andy Griffith show, the greatest show ever in television. But when, with the, the Andy Griffith show, one of the things will happen is sometimes in the small town, Somebody very important will show up. And so what they'll try to do is before the person comes, they get everything ready. And they start, they have celebrations prepared. and They have all these different things. They may have somebody speak. They're going to probably give away plaques. They're going to go out to the entrance of the city. And they're going to stand there and wait for the arrival. And then as they come in, they come together as like a parade that comes into town. Because this great person has showed up in town. I think that's when we think about Christ's return and his gathering of his people before he comes to earth. I, I think of it that way. It's, he's gathering them together. They're coming out to meet him. This was very common in that time period in, in the lives of those people. They, they, were, they were coming together and really the picture is, is that, and that was very common. If the, if the emperor showed up to town and he was coming, everybody got prepared and the, the greatest officials and everybody would come out and meet him and then go forward. There's a time even in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul is going to come to a place and so the, they travel for some distance to come and meet him and then bring him into the place. It's something that's very common and so I think it, that might be helpful as you think about the return of Christ. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. This is not a secret event. This is not secret. You see what happens here? It's, it's this cry of command comes forth. It's something, it's as if the, the king of, of heaven and earth is coming down to earth to set up his kingdom. And when he comes, there's a cry of command, possibly or very likely the command of the Lord drawing his people to himself, bringing them back to him and crying out so that they know it's time so they would awaken, if you will, and come forth. Also, we see there's, there's pictures throughout the Scripture of God's voice thundering. And so these scattered people will rise. We also see a voice of the archangel. In Jude 9, one of the archangels named there, we, we, we see that he's named. And, and so one of the things we might say is the primary, maybe archangel or the voice of many. We don't know, but it, it, it seems to be that this archangel is crying out along with the voice of the Lord. There's a third sound, the sound of the trumpet of God. It's, it's the picture of not the trumpet comes, but everyone awakens and comes forth. It's a very powerful picture, and it's not silent. It's not hidden. It's, it's on display for all to see. He is calling out His people. 
There, there's texts that talk about this. 1 Corinthians 15.52 speaks of the trumpet and the command uh, of the commanding the resurrection of the dead. Matthew 24.31, it, it's a picture of all the peoples being called from uh, to the Lord. It, it's All of that is kind of this trumpet sound tied together here. So we, we're seeing the return of the king. They're gathering around him. His people are. And we continue forward and we see the dead in Christ will rise first. We, we see, now it's not only the dead, all the dead will be raised. We see that in John 5, 28 and 29. The dead that are in Christ and those who are not in Christ are raised up. This picture here is the dead will be raised. But here the speak, we're speaking of the dead in Christ are raised. They're not being raised for judgment, but for eternal life. They have this great privilege of being called up first. So those who are that you know that have gone to, you would say, gone to be with the Lord, we would say those people who have died, we know that the Scripture presents them as being absent from the body, as to be present with the Lord. But I think this picture here, of course, is of the resurrections of their bodies. They're going to be restored in a moment, reconciled both body and soul together. They'll be standing before the Lord. That's kind of the picture that we see here. And then right behind that, what's often called the rapture. And, and again, depending on how you view this, you could come away with different ideas. But in my mind, the rapture here is, is the dead in Christ are resurrected. And those who are alive in Christ on the earth at this particular time are raptured up. They're called up. They're snatched up. That's kind of the picture to gather there with the Lord. And they're gathering with him as they prepare, as he prepares to come. At the second coming. It is right before in my mind. It's, he calls them up together. And then he comes down to set up his kingdom. It, it, again it has the picture of being snatched up. Now we see the clouds here. The, that, the clouds throughout the scriptures. A vision of God like coming. Dwelling among his people. Whether or not it's up there in the sky. I mean we, we have to say. It, it is, it is this, this thing of the presence of God has come. We see that him coming in the clouds throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke and Revelation. All of that shows that picture. So, again, we I think what we just have to see and then we'll you kind of move through this. But I think what we see is, is that Paul's saying to them, he's giving them great encouragement. He does not want them to be uninformed that those who die in Christ and those who are living in Christ will both be brought to the Lord at the end. At the second coming, they'll be drawn together there. All of his people gathering around him as he enters into the place of of setting up his kingdom on earth. As the kingdom of God comes crashing down on the kingdom of this earth. So I think it's important that we see that. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 speaks of us being transformed. It says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I think that's very important that we see that, that we understand that. It's this picture of this transforming work, your whole being being transformed and brought there before the Lord. One author speaking of this notes that the resurrection and rapture of these believers should not be conceived as a physical rising upward from the grave, but a transformation of an old world body into a new creational body that can inhabit the dimension of the new world in Christ and God's presence. 
And again, you know, that's one way of seeing that. And I think it's a very helpful way. We need to see if you say, hey, I think they're snatched up into the air. That's fine. But you understand this is a point where they're transformed and made new. All brand new. Now, the last part here and says the reunion is we will always be with the Lord. You ever long for that? I, I, you know, growing up, sometimes I felt like sometimes people would say something like, don't you want to go to heaven rather than hell? You know, they'd come after you that way and be like, of course I want to go to heaven. And sometimes you would be like, but do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to be with him? Isn't that the question? Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody look you in the eye and say, I want to burn eternally in hell. But they may not want Christ. They want heaven without Christ. When someone is converted and transformed, it's not just to escape hell. It's to gather with, to, to re- be reconciled to God. It's to know Him. And certainly the benefits of that would be into His restored kingdom where there's no more crying or death or, or brokenness. Everything is restored. But today, I mean, I think you need to understand the desire for reunion is what we desire. We long to be reconciled to God. We long to be with Christ. We long to see the One who saved us from our sins. We long to dwell with Him forever. And ever and ever. The greatest hope of the Christian is to be in right relationship with God. It's to know Him. It's to, be, to, to get what was lost in the garden. Where they're cut off from the presence of God. To be reconciled to Him. We will always be with the Lord. We will enjoy fellowship with Him forever. We will be in a renewed earth. When he restores all things and makes all things new. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Christians should be the most hope-filled people in the world. When we lose someone, man, it is heartbreaking. I, I remember when this man, his name was Dewey, when he died. Or before he died, I mean, his wife died. And, and the heartbroken kind of picture and 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 just thoughts in his eyes in the loss of a wife that he had for over 60 years he'd spent his most of his life with her and he was heartbroken and he and and I, I, there was one other man i heard one one time we, i had to come speak at, a, at first baptist wake village when i was there and when he came i mean his whole sermon just kind of centered around the loss of his wife now it's almost like I thought he was coming to do this, and it, but it, it was just etched in my memory the grief of a person who has lost someone so very close to them. You can imagine in this little church in Thessalonica, there were maybe some who said, but you remember that little, that young boy that was so, he's 20 years old and he was so zealous about the kingdom and they killed him. And how are we going to keep standing in the face of that? What, how are we going to keep fighting the faith, fight for the fight for the faith when people are dying around us? Will that little guy be okay? Will that person in our church who, who's fighting the fight and dies for the faith, will they be okay? Will my mom or grandma, will they be okay? And all of these truths are encouraging them to not lose hope. 
We will see them again. They are presently with the Lord in spirit. And one day on the, on, on the return of Christ, He will resurrect them and He'll snatch us up. We'll all be there together around the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping and praising and honoring Him forever and ever. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being among the parade of those where Paul says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you at the presence of our Lord as is coming? Do you long for that? Do you long to be with the Lord? Do you long to be among the people of God? Do you long to just rejoice in that forever and ever? Do, do you long for that so much so that it just that it's one of those prayers that comes out of you regularly? Come, Lord Jesus, come. This is something that we as God's people should hold on to. These are truths that we believe, that we hold on to, that we, we long for them to find their fulfillment. And this is the kind of thing that we're speaking to one another because sometimes the difficulty of this life causes us to wonder. Sometimes even the things that kind of capture our eyes and we say, I want to run after this, it causes us to wander away from the things that are most important. So we speak this word over one another over and over and over again. One of the most heartbreaking things for me today would be for some of you potentially to leave here without hope, without real hope, without hope of Christ's return, to leave here filled with terror because you did not trust in Christ alone to save you from your sins. If you'd like to speak to someone following the service, there are many that would love to share with you about the wonderful message of Christ, Him coming, Him dying, Him being raised again, and returning for His people. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would help us see more clearly what it means to be in Christ to have the benefits of a promised resurrection on the last day. To have the benefits to know that if when you return, that we'll be snatched up with you. To know that we will be a part of the procession that gets to, to lead you into the, your glorious kingdom as you set it up. That we might dwell with you forever. God, I pray that you'd never cause our hearts to grow dull. To just be bored with the wonderful reality that Christ died, that he was raised, and that we too will be on the last day. It's in his name we pray. Amen.